Be sure to go over to James' channel to listen to the full discussion. And while you're there, be sure to check out some of James' other videos. He has some really great content. Um, welcome everyone. I'm here with my good friend um, and my first conversationalist, Derek Fiedler. Good to see you, sir. Oh man, it's so good to see you, James. You're writing, you're starting a project to start documenting your memoirs from a 10-year uh, bike bicycle journey. Yeah, so not 10, it's uh, it's really two, two, two years. Okay. So um, recently? It, it, so it took place in 2013, 2014. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, early 2012 to 2014. Um, that was kind of like the climax of that season of my life of uh, the coming of age and, you know, to becoming my own man, uh, to be becoming my own uh, person with my own beliefs and faith and practices and worldview. Um, so really, it's telling the first quarter of my life from like mm -hmm. when I was born until uh, I was about 24, 25. So that was about 10 years ago when that. Oh, when yes, that... yes, correct. 10 yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Why? And so actually. September 22nd would be the day that I came home from okay. the years of traveling. And you went with some friends or a group of people that you're familiar with? Uh, solo, actually. Solo, so okay. it, it started out, the, the first leg of it was um, I was living in Portland. I was living in the city, living the hipster life, you know, retire in your early 20s and move to mm -hmm. Portland. I totally did that. Uh, and then I, I kind of got to a point where it was just like, I was ready, I was ready to go because the, the things that, that people were saying was not the reality of like, mm -hmm. we're going to change the world. You know, we're, we're growing organic food. And then you learn 97% of the food that makes its way into Portland that we, we were eating um, came from other places. And so it's mm -hmm. like, it, so I was ready to get out of the concrete jungle. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the jungle. I went to Costa Rica uh, and I, I did that solo and I ended up not traveling a whole bunch. I ended up getting rooted pretty quickly uh, in a beautiful place, uh, mm -hmm. San Isidro. It's in the central part of the country. And I fell in love with the people. I lived on farms. I lived with the local Ticos. Uh, I got connected with, you know, new age community on one side. And then with the, the local Ticos, I learned Spanish as best as I possibly could. Um, I remember even like setting, like snapping, um, stick candles in half, putting them in empty tuna cans and then lighting it. And then I would study Spanish until that half a candle wore all the way down. Um, so that was six months. Uh, and then I went back to the States. I, I was going to make a whole bunch of money and go back to Costa Rica and, and buy land and settle there. Um, but then I was drawn from that by a woman, a very beautiful woman. And uh, we had a very special couple of nights together. Um, we actually did a, a, a trip. Um, we took mushrooms and we hiked a volcano and we went to the top of a volcano at night. And then uh, with a group of other people, we came back and uh, she ended up leaving to Colorado the next day. And I was like <laughs> devastated, man. I was, I was like, I found the lady of my dreams and then uh, she left me. And so I set out to go visit her in Colorado and uh, I just, I did something I'd always wanted to do, but couldn't when I was in Portland because because of my responsibilities. I wanted to go on a bicycle trip. And so I was like, hey, how about this? How about I do both? I'll go chase after this lady. Uh, and then in doing so, I'll bike from 
uh, Portland and I'll go all the way to the Boulder, Colorado. And that's what got me started on the, the bicycle part of that journey. Well, before we get into that, can you talk about what happened on the, on the top of the volcano? Yeah. So um, it was uh, late one year about the being recruited by uh, three certain individuals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting about that. Okay. So this is the same volcano. It's volcano Kanakdai. It's a very mythical place. Uh, and it's eruption created clear Lake, which is the largest and oldest natural Lake in California. Um, and that's right. That's my home clear Lake. And, uh, right in the, really the middle of the Lake is this giant volcano. And the cool thing is you can hike to the top of it. They have some trails and some fire roads. It's great to hike during the day and it's even better to hike at night. Um, especially a few days before the full moon, because just as the sun sets, the moon is already rising in the sky. And so you have just this extended hike time so you can see the sunset and then you can hike in the night without flashlights. And uh, it's a very mysterious place. Uh, there, there aren't really streams running off it. So like the water just kind of absorbs into the, the volcano. Uh, there's a, an oak grove, mm-hmm. very dark, dense oak grove that you walk through. And then from that you merge and it's just open. You can see the valley and the whole rest of the hike. There's actually a, a small, like a two or four person plane that mm-hmm. uh, crashed there. And the plane's still near the top of the volcano. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, the volcano so it's, called? What was the volcano? Uh, Kanaktai, K O. N-O-C-T-I. And it has, uh, and it has the, the indigenous people around here, uh, commonly called the Pomo Indians. They have uh, some amazing myths surrounding that too. Uh, so the hike itself is, uh, you can hike to the top and then you can, you just have views every which direction. Uh, and we're a little bit inland. So like you can even see towards the coast um, on a very clear day and you can see all the way to the central valley on the other side. Um, so it's a, it's a special place. So the, there's two things. One happened at this point of the journey that I've discussed right before, or right after doing like the Costa Rica, um, experience, and then leading up to that next chapter, kind of like that interim period was this trip where, uh, late one evening we did the shrooms and we hiked to the top, a group of us and, uh, particularly with this young woman. And then we, so I go through this bicycle trip. We ended up going down the coast. Uh, I connected with a couple other people at that point. So it became a, a pack, a group of us went down. Uh, and then we went all the way to Baja, California into Mexico. And then two of us wrote, we just zigzagged Mexico. We saw like 13 or 14 States. Uh, and then I went all the way to, I was trying to get back to Costa Rica, but then something happened that, uh, led me to buy a plane ticket and return back. And that was the, the eventual birth of my nephew uh, named mm. Eden. Mm. And uh, so we, so when I came home, I did another hike. I did another hike up that volcano. And that time uh, I had done something I, I had really never done leading or very, very few times it led up to that is uh, I, I, took, I took part in marijuana. Okay. And in doing that, um, we did that same thing. It was a night hike. It was a different group of us. Um, and we hiked up this mountain. And at the very top of the mountain, 
I sat on a rock and I just looked around. I was like, for some reason, I just feel like I have to sit on this rock. And I did it. I went into lotus position, cross leg. And as soon as I did, I entered a very deep meditative state. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, maybe other people yourself could relate. Uh, I already have like a very strong spiritual intuition. You know, some would say like a noose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so drugs for me take me to a very, very, very deep level very mm-hmm. quickly. And the few times that I've done them, um, and this case was, was not just like the others, if not even more, I sat on this rock and then immediately the three peaks, the one I was sitting on, Volcano Kanaktai, um, Boggs Mountain or Cobb Mountain, you could say, uh, and then St. Helena. And St. Helena is another volcano mountain uh, in the region. So the three main peaks in the Clear Lake Basin, my hometown, uh, they took form. And it was almost like uh, these giant peaks, you know, thousands of feet high in elevation. It was like they started uh, becoming darker and darker. And then something, something like a glowing figure, kind of like how you see neon, like a characters in Tron. Mm-hmm. It was like that, like these spirits that were twice the size of these peaks mm. were laying down or somehow at the level of the peaks. And then when they stood up they're, they're, they stood twice as high as mm. these mountains. And one was in a green outline, one was in a purple and one was in a red and all three of them. And the one that I was sitting on kind of like emerged, you know, through me almost. Mm. And then they approached me and it's almost like they, they made a trade with me. And they said, if you keep smoking this marijuana, if you keep doing this, we will exchange. And if you do this, we will give you powers. Like you've Mm. never had and never experienced before women will not be able to resist you and you will have whoever you want and any of your your sexual uh, imperfections will be perfected and you will be irresistible oh wow and so then i was then they uh, they gave me a taste and so it was man hope i don't freak out your readers here but um they uh so it was almost like this they took form but they weren't limited to going through material things. And so mm-hmm. it was almost like one of them took their hand and they reached up below the surface of the ground and then into my abdomen area and they released something. And mm-hmm. it was like, kind of like I had gotten to that point where I could see outside of myself, like a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Like if this something, like if I stood like 15 feet behind myself and looked down, I could see this scene taking place. And it's like they released something that was warming, you know, at the very core of, uh, of my body, of my being. And it was like, like they imparted something, not a full something, mm-hmm. but like a taste of it. And it was warming. It felt healing. It felt blissful. It felt ecstatic. You know, it felt uh, orgasmic, I guess you could say. And so that was all taking place. And finally, my friends were like, man, what is They're They're all chatting, you know, and kind of like, roaming around the peak, you know, you can walk to this side, to the view over here on the North. You can walk to that side, see the view of the lake. Um, and the, of course you have the stars above you. It's at night and it's, it's just, so they finally come there like, Derek, we have to go. I don't know mm-hmm. what's happening to you, where you're at, but we have to go get off this mountain. Um, and so reluctantly I finally did. And sure enough, I get down and everything they promised me started happening. And it was like the women around me that I was kind of shy around or like maybe just had like a crush or an attraction 
suddenly they just keep, couldn't keep their hands off me. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll just stop there. I'll stop there. So, uh, wow. That's, that's a, that's a hell of a story. So what was your, uh, your takeaway from that? Like it was, was it memorable, the details of it? And as that started happening, a pattern with the women, you were like, wow, you were connecting it right away. Or did it take some time to reflect on, oh, wow. You know, what was it like? It didn't take long. It didn't take long. I'm, I'm kind of cutting to like near the climax of this story. This, at least the part that I'm going to be writing about with this mystical memoir mm-hmm. is because at the same time, like, so this is a tell all book. Um, I'm hoping that in telling like kind of the deepest, darkest secrets of my journey, uh, um, that will help people in theirs kind of mm-hmm. navigate life and the meaning crisis and everything that's around them. And that's at hand. Uh, so the people that I traveled with, we were, uh, we were at a trim scene because around here, that's a really quick way to make a lot of cash. Uh, and at the time I thought I was going to continue traveling down to South America and I wanted to load up as much cash as I could. So I didn't have to stop and, and work. And so I was like trimming by my day or during the week. And then I was going to my, my family's church at the weekend. And so at the same time, I was like reading the Bible and like genuinely exploring that or going down that path of curiosity. Cause up to that point, I just rejected it and said, Oh, that's, you know, the faith of my fathers and they were blind. You know, that's, that's a shallow spiritual experience. They limited themselves and mm-hmm. I'm going to find the, the real truth. Um, and that was the quest I was on for many years. And so I'm kind of getting to the head where it's like, I have my grandpa who is uh, the preacher and the pastor of the church I was going to on the weekends. And then I had like a trim scene and all of the different travelers from everywhere around the world, um, you know, getting high, doing various forms of drugs and having these discussions all day. We would listen to Alan Watts. We would listen to music. We would talk about, you know, it was a great community of camaraderie. It was, it was amazing. Um, so at, in that t- context, I started connecting with uh, one of the ladies there and it was just like all of these, you know, uh, I, I guess you could say dreams were coming true with desires. It's like mm-hmm. all of these desires of, you know, uh, being desired uh, were coming true. But then at the same time, it was like a, <laughs> I finally had a wake up call where I was like, oh my goodness, all of these things my grandpa was talking about, it wasn't just like things that pastors like to talk about from the Bible or like, you know, spiritual warfare or like end times theology or anything. You know, you can talk about those things, but it was like, it suddenly struck me like mm-hmm. within a few days after that happening, I was like, oh my goodness, that was real. That just happened. Things have changed. And it's not just me, it's the people around me. And it hit me. And it was just like, because of my grandpa, because of that background, I had a language for it. I, I understood at least a certain level of understanding. Um, and I, I finally, it, it hit me. I was like, I was just approached by three succubi who were willing to give me sexual powers to worship them. And it was tied together with this marijuana. Um, and I am, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to go down this path, I'm going to be worshiping goddesses. Uh, And I I don't know, just like finally, finally the fear of it all or something like it finally hit me. And I was like, I walked away and I was just like, I can't do that. Like I'm losing power. 
Um, and it was like the Holy spirit of God was like leading me through that time. And it was like this powerful thing happening over here. And like the new age Rastafari marijuana goddess worship, um, world. Mm -hmm. It was like, it, it created this shock that then awakened this other Christian spiritual life that I had. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that I had come back to Christianity. Well, not, I came back to Christ mm -hmm. in the purest, truest, most enrapturing way possible. So prior to that, were you thinking Christ is just like another ascended master? He's another Buddha. He's a spiritual, you know, um, spiritual master, just like these other ones, right? We have can choose who precisely something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you say like, you know, can I remember these things vividly? Mm -hmm. Absolutely vividly. Like as soon as you say it, I, I see I'm there in that scene. Well, mm -hmm. we were in uh, Southern Mexico and we decided uh, the guests that we were staying with invited us to a meditation session and the picture on the wall in that meditative space uh, was a picture of four people. Uh, one was uh, but Krishna, mm -hmm. one was Ramakrishna, one was the Buddha, and then one was Christ. Mm -hmm. And the person that was leading it then later explained, they said, oh, these are all uh, incarnations of the divine. Mm -hmm. uh, and Christ is, we consider him one of them. Mm -hmm. So that was common throughout. That was, uh, yeah. that's how we frame things. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting that this all happened at the age of 24, 25, right? There's this uh, mm -hmm. psychologist, uh, I forgot who it was, pretty popular one that talks about this messianic age that we go through. There's messianic stage and most men get stuck in this messianic stage and they want to change the world, right? And they get kind of uh, stuck in this stage and they spend the rest of their life trying to change the world by, you know, activism and whatnot. Right? Mm. So you need to graduate past that messianic stage, which is a an immature masculine stage. Um, and it seems that's, that's funny that you mentioned you, you know, I'll, I'll, we're going to change the world. And I just saw how kind of empty that was. And that was the, uh, that was the impetus for this, for this journey. Yeah. Mm. You know, where, where you were tempted, uh, you know, tempted with, at least in this sense, sexual, you know, kind of to be sexual desirous, you know, so it's like, and you're on a mountain while you're being tempted, right? It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a pattern, you know, it's, it's a fundamental pattern, I think. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, so what, what know, happened? So yeah. who, who said that, that you said the messianic age? messianic stage so oh, stage. stages and then the messianic one is where you you know all oh, the systems corrupt the world is terrible i'm going to change it mm. um peterson talks That's about so it he references uh is it piaget no i forgot which psychological but if you google messianic okay. I think stage yeah that's good enough it. i'm gonna look into it because yeah. uh it's funny you say that so i have my my some of my old journals from 10 years ago mm -hmm. and you can see like oh yeah 99 right? percent. so this is totally like so this is what I I'd pack it up. I'd show you. So tortilla bags are the best. You know, you get like these really <laughs> nice bags and become a waterproof case for these. Mm -hmm. And uh, so over the you pack it in your bags and you pack it on the bike, but you end up with <laughs> mm -hmm. tons of tortilla bag wrap journals. Um, but anyway, this is kind of like interesting snapshot where it's like you see like these uh, it's bicycle activism. So I thought mm -hmm. like we changed the world through uh, bicycles. Everybody would ride bikes. They'd use it for bicycle machines for transportation. And uh, it was kind of tied together with, as you can see, some uh, neo-Marxist activism and some other mm -hmm. figures. That's interesting. Yeah. Next. So I, I was definitely caught up in all of that. Uh, when I lived in Port 
Portland, that was the Occupy Wall Street movement. And I had mm -hmm. friends that were living there and, you know, I'd ride my bike through downtown and uh, see all the different encampments and things. So like the spirit of that was definitely, uh, I was caught up in, in a lot of it. Um, not deeply, uh, but enough to where it was like it affected how I spoke or, you know, I really wanted to be considered cool. And mm -hmm. so that's the type of things that you do. You put those type of stickers on if you want mm -hmm. to, to impress certain people in certain crowds. Yeah, absolutely. But, have you um, gone through these, these writings that you have? Have you gone through them recently? So up until the end of 2022, so what, at this point of our talk, that's a month ago, I never opened a single one of them. And so oh, I just wow. chronicled everything. Like I remember us taking like, we would take a whole day and just catch up on our journaling. You know, we'd stop riding our bikes, stop traveling, and we'd just uh, find a good space and we'd just pff, catalog as much as we could. And then once we got home, I just stored them and never cracked them open for years and years. Mm. Um, I went on a retreat to a, a local monastery here. Um, and I did, I, I did a little bit of write-up for people that are interested on, on my Substack. Uh, giving some of the some of the big takeaways from that, and one of them was that I I entered the cell and I um, uh, I named I named this entry called uh, climbing climbing up the mountain, and so it's a monastery on a mountain, and of course they have these small cells with it looks like a very small college dorm right with like a little bed and a little desk and a little sink, uh, and it was the first time where I I took like half a day and I just open and read through as many of them as possible. Um, and that's really where I came down that mountain with confirmation that this is the year, this is the time to write this book because uh, really James it's like, since our discussion and since kind of, since entering into the meaning crisis and Jordan Peterson, Peugeot, some of the things we talked about earlier, um, I didn't have the right frame to be able to tell this story. I didn't have the worldview. Uh, and now I've spent the last three or four years really learning the worldview, coming up with a language for being able to tell these stories. Uh -huh. um, and because before I, I actually, when I came home, I wrote some of them down, but it was, it was through this frame, you know? So it was like, if, and after writing down a handful of them, it was just like something deep in me was like, this isn't right. Like the whole, it's not that these individual stories are bad. I mean, they're, they're entertaining or they're cool, but it's like the worldview is wrong. Mm -hmm. The ground beneath what I'm trying to build upon isn't ready. And so that's why I'm so grateful for this recent season. Um, and it's kind of a big shift because the last several years and most of the content that I put on the YouTube channel has been more of like a, like philosophy or critiquing or commenting on things, you know, mm -hmm. teaching or trying to understand, um, which is a great work, but it's, it's, for me, it was preparatory. It was helping me make sure that I'm bringing people into a life giving, uh, place, uh, a world, a world mm -hmm. that is full of meaning and purpose and it's cohesive. And so that's why I'm so grateful for, you know, symbolism and cosmic Christianity, logocentric or dentrocentric worldview, because now I feel peace about drawing people into 
you know, this story, but then, you know, some of the other fiction and, and music concept records and all of these other ideas that I've had for years, decades. Um, I'm excited now because now I get to bring them into something that could transform their life for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that the logos was working through you through all your travels, right? But, you know, you developed the understanding of what kind of, of understanding of the logos, like logocentrism. So you can go back now and read through that and kind of find the through line, right? Which is a yes. blessing. It's a blessing. That's, that's valuable uh, journal material that you have there. Um, so that that's wonderful. I'm interested to, to see how that project goes. Are you going to uh, write a book yourself? You could even take those and give them to an editor and have someone that you trust, right? And have them structure it where it's, you know, uh, structure mm-hmm. it appropriately. Because unless you have that skill set, um, shoot, you could even use chat GPT, like develop a structure <sighs> for it. For these, uh, for these, I, I actually asked uh, Chat GPT, um, "What is the essence of Jonathan Peugeot's symbolism?" Oh, <laughs> you want to hear the answer? I would go for it's, it. Uh, it's kind of funny. Hold on, let me see. And I asked the follow up too. So it says, um, "What is what is the essence of symbolism of Jonathan Peugeot?" He says, "Jonathan Peugeot is an artist and lecturer known for his work in the field of Christian iconography and symbolism." The essence of the symbolism is to bring forth the spiritual and symbolic meaning of images, objects, and traditions in the Christian faith. He believes that symbols are a means of accessing deeper truths and communicating them to people in a way that is accessible and meaningful. Through this work, Peugeot Peugeot aims to help people understand and connect with the rich spiritual heritage of Christianity. Then I asked, um, what does Jonathan mean by symbolism? And he says, uh, by symbolism, Jonathan Majot means the use of symbols and images to convey deeper meanings and ideas beyond their literal interpretation. In his work, he explores the ways in which symbols have been used throughout Christian history to express spiritual truths, such as the nature of God, the mysteries of the faith, and the life of Christ. He believes that symbols have the power to evoke a deeper understanding and experience of the divine, and that they can serve as a bridge between the physical and spiritual realms. In this sense, symbolism is not just about the representation of ideas, but also about the transformation of the viewer through the encounter with the symbol. <laughs> not gonna lie, that's not bad. Exactly, that's what I thought. I'm like, uh, <laughs> from a from a predictive modeling perspective, and what what kind of scrapes from the internet, that's a pretty good, you know, rational distillation. Yeah. Uh, no, so I, I mean, that that's that program is logocentric too. Yep. Yep. There's the. You know, uh, it's just conditioned from the meaning makers, but. Yeah. By design, that's what it is. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm interested. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've not been paid too much attention to that. So I don't know what, you know, I mean, it's fun in games right now yeah. until it's not, you know, I think it's <laughs> the world. It's, you know, history has been important of, you know, not the answers that we get, but the questions that we ask. And with a technology like this, right, the questions that we ask now are, are paramount importance. And the tool, yeah. we can use it as a tool. Right to you know help structure this book to make it relevant for these stories. Right, it's it's uh, you know I had it I had it you know develop a a rap song in Tupac's voice about the philosophy of Jill Deleuze. Right, <laughs> and it did it. It was it was really good. I did the same thing with yeah. Heidegger. I said write a rap about being in time, and it just spits it out in this in ten seconds. Like okay, this is I don't uh, know, James. Have you thought about starting like a side channel where you just <laughs> maybe actually uh, produce it, these uh, cues and questions and seeing what it produces yeah again it's the uh i asked it um let me give you one more i asked it can men give birth 
And uh, here's what it said. Hold on. Because, you know, there's this whole thing that there's a there's political bias in it. So I'm like, hey, let's see what ChatGPT says. He says, I said, can man give birth? He says, no, it's biologically impossible for a man to give birth. <laughs> Pregnancy and childbirth are processes that occur in female reproductive systems and the ability to carry and deliver babies limited to individuals with a uterus and related reproductive anatomy. While, while some medical advancements have been made in recent years to allow transgender individuals to carry a pregnancy, it remains a complex and challenging process and is not currently possible for individuals who were born male and have not undergone gender transition th that have undergone tr gender transition surgery. I'm like, hey, chat GPT be kicked off Twitter. Look at that. You know, <laughs> it certainly would. <laughs> so, uh, wow. I, I, great I, question, I, James. That is phenomenal. Wow. Well, for the, I opened it. Everybody's been telling me about it. And I'm like, I don't want to get into it. But uh, yesterday, for some reason, I like, uh, you can just, uh, you set up an account and it just brings the search box and it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not limited at all you can ask questions and follow up questions almost conversational mm -hmm. um and i'm trying to think of uh like i asked it what's the meaning of meeting you know but it didn't give a, <laughs> yeah. it, it gave like a like a standard answer of significance or what's and, the definition of word yeah yeah I, what is the uh, essence of the orthodox faith i asked it that and uh you know, yeah. I asked, what's the essence of St. Maximus the Confessor's work? <laughs> wow. You know, James, uh, definitely start a side channel separate from yeah. this one that right. you have, because uh, I don't want YouTube to shut your main channel down because yeah. of whatever this chat program is uh, yeah. explaining. <laughs> hey, it's not me. It's the, it's the chat bot. Uh, but anyways, yeah. let's 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 not get off uh, off track here. That was a um, pleasant tangent. But yeah, uh, yeah. So your original question was, oh, should I should I use some of these other means, whether it's a, a human editor or um, chat? Yeah. So like, okay. So like, here's another journal, right? You can kind of see like, I don't know. It's okay. People can't read that because most people can't read cursive anymore these days, at least not in California. Oh, so you're writing um, cursive, huh? Yeah. And so, so the answer would be no. Like, I already know the answer to that. Um, because like I said, when I was writing it in that moment, like I tried blogging and it didn't work because it took me out of the present moment. Um, that's why I, I can't do like, even to this day, like I can't do news or like breaking trends or like, or document my day-to-day -day life because it kind of takes me into another thought space. It takes me into another place of being where like I go throughout my day and I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait. I, I start thinking about the post and the reaction to the post rather than actually the thing that I'm doing. 10 years later, I still haven't overcome that. So I just said, well, I'm just going to journal a whole bunch and then maybe one day I'll write a story. So that's just how I do things uh, where I like, I like to think in long-term, you know, I'm writing this for my great, great grandkids, um, my progeny, uh, as well as patrons too, uh, people I care deeply about what I'm doing. Um, so, so to answer your question, if I were to give all of these, you know, journals and everything to an editor, I wouldn't read the book that they were able to put together. Um, because during the time of writing, I was under the, the, the thread or the focus of an incoherent worldview. It was all over the place, all over the place, because I was high in openness and exploration and I, I mean, it's just like, I was willing to try anything. Um, not to say I did, I still had a conservative side. It's kind of my nature, um, personality wise. Like I didn't, 
I had the opportunity to try ayahuasca. I didn't have peace about it. So I passed on it and I just, <laughs> here's the mountain again. Um, I decided to climb, climb Mount Chiripo in uh, Costa Rica. And then uh, again, that was an overnight. You start at like nine or 10 at night. And then you try to get to the top by sunrise. Um, so I decided to do more of those things than ayahuasca. And the, the friends that did it, they described it to me. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. <laughs> it, it involved a lot of vomiting. Um, yeah, purging. If you are uh, had that experience for marijuana, which is very akin to experience you'll have on ayahuasca, you'll probably, it'll probably be a, it'll probably be uh hyper vivid where you might not be able to take away too much because if you're open like that yes, it's like yes. you know you won't be able to that's make sense it, of it like you know precisely and yeah. it's so helpful that you say it that way because looking back the handful of times that i've done you know even what people would consider recreative drugs um i only needed a fraction of what they needed and i was immediately immersed in the spiritual realm mm -hmm. You know, I look at the stars and I could see all of them connected. I could see the stars in the, the sea. I could see the sea connecting with, it was just like everything was connected, right? As people describe, um, it, it took me a trace amount to get to that place compared to my other friends. There were several times where we would all, you know, take the same portion and some, it would, wouldn't affect them at all or it'd wear off very shortly. And I would just spend the whole night into the next day, just mm -hmm. in the spiritual realm. That's just... <laughs> I don't know. That's who I am. So you're right. Maybe that was a, a, the right call to pass on that and climb the mountains. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, and then of, of course with, I don't know, after, after your examples, I'd be curious to see if, if I were to submit all of these, you know, journal entries over those couple of years to see what type of story they would write, mm -hmm. but more so I'm enjoying the process right now because like right now I'm outlining and I'm researching Mm -hmm. and I'm reflecting and it's been a very fruitful season to do that you know like I chronicle a lot I write a lot of things down I take a lot of notes uh, but I'm afraid to look at them because it's like looking at yourself in the mirror for an extended period of time or worse yet like I I, I realized that I have like a growing resentment towards my past self mm -hmm. like it's that my past self is the person I hate the most or most critical about and so there's a whole inner healing spiritual process with just being able to look at myself in the past without being so upset, so mm -hmm. riled up. I'm like, oh. you know, it's like having a, a sibling that just can't get their act together or something, but mm -hmm. even worse. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you ever experience, experience that when you go to reflect? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, it comes to mind. You know, Terrence McKenna would say your ego is not your amigo brother. Like, you know, in <laughs> uh, yeah. the whole, uh, in the whole, uh, you know, uh, finding your higher self in the whole, uh, you know, kill your ego and whatnot. I think it's an important distinction to say, we're not to kill our ego. We're to transfigure it. Right. And in that process of transfiguring your past, mm. you're going to have to purge and come to terms with, who you were in a sense, but that's a beautiful process. And I think it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. even the, the negative emotion that comes up, that's part of it, I think. So I, I you know, I would keep going with that. I, I find myself because I've done some very terrible things and I reflect on them in terms of how I treated people and what I allowed myself groups that I allowed myself to get in intertwined with. Um, so I'm glad I, I'm most glad I didn't have the wherewithal to write back then. Um, you know, but as we were saying before, I have, I've been going through my notes from the last probably. Yeah, there uh, we go. 
probably last since 2016 actually and uh i'm reluctant to read the stuff i'm reluctant to look through it like i just told you what i looked through here yeah like, no what do you uh, got you got uh, a little bit of a taste little snapshot oh geez i don't know if i can do that uh, here's <laughs> it's hard here's one that says my future i'm nervous and fearful of diving into the venture head first i know it's it can be successful but i'm apprehensive because of the strain it put on us the most important thing to me this world is my family specifically my wife and my son i'm afraid to fail them like you know so it's like mm. gotta, it's, i haven't looked through this one in ever actually so i'm glad that you uh i'm glad that you brought this up this time um but it's hard it's hard to reflect on i'm with you it's hard to to go back and and look um because when you're in a place of spiritual delusion right with spiritual pre mm -hmm. place where you feel you're being so spiritual but you're actually inflated self you know your spiritual ego is inflated you feel like you're helping the world and helping others and want to help others heal themselves but when you reflect back and look at the words uh, that you're looking at, you're hyper focused on yourself like yeah and i uh, so i still get, i still get that a lot where i'll, I'll become hyper focused on on myself and uh like just critical self-critical thought loops and then uh you're kind of getting out of that you know i'll just tell myself to be for others you know focus on others if you're going to a place where you're you don't feel confident or you feel self-conscious then focus on them and 100 but then it'll come yeah. back you know and then you, you gotta you, you kind of keep playing that out but um yeah just start serving mm -hmm. find a simple place to serve yeah even finding someone and going and having lunch with them even if you're you know, yes just going and mm -hmm. doing in that with no reason or no point even if you don't feel like it because you'll feel so much better there and after rather yeah. than you know i'm just going to stay in my cell and, and kind of sulk a bit and let these negative emotions and attack me until they're gone and then uh you know it kind of mm -hmm. seems a cycle that i've experienced as well um, you know uh james there's there's a lot to talk about but i'm thinking maybe we should just keep going on this like a uh, psychedelic topic yeah because um for example there's one more one more story i wanted to tell you mm -hmm. and get your feedback on one was um so in in mexico in the middle of mexico we did a few side trips where we parked the bicycle and we got on a bus and we went and did other things uh one of those was uh we went to Huautla de jimenez you've ever heard of that place it's the birthplace of psilocybin mushrooms so it was discovered earlier in the 1900s um, and it was a big 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 part of leading up to the sexual revolution and everything that took place in the 1960s and 70s so uh, once it was discovered it was the place where um, psychedelic mushrooms uh, bloomed out of the ground out of the mm -hmm. earth yeah I'm familiar uh, with again that. in a mountainous region sierra mm -hmm. sierra negra the black mountains of mexico heart of mexico Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, Maria Sabina was the the guide for many people that would go there. And it, was, it wasn't just like, here you go, here's a bunch of shrooms and go have a happy time. They had actually developed a whole like spiritual uh, structure or, mm -hmm. you know, religious ceremonies. Um, and they used, they considered the mushrooms medicine and that whole different uh, viewpoint of approaching it. And so... Alan Watts and Timothy Leary and Bob Dylan and you know the list goes on about all of these very influential people back here in the states they made pilgrimages 
you could call it to uh to this place in mexico in oaxaca mm-hmm. the beatles so, did beatles did as well i believe ah uh, okay yeah. interesting so we we decided to go and we we hopped on a bus we went to the you know deep into the mountains um and a friend of mine uh, of ours that we met down in the valley she connected us with a sabina a, a elderly wise woman but there was a lot of things happening um one was that was the last time I ever did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew it would be my last time. And it was interesting because bef- the day before we were going through one of the small villages, um, we were talking with people in Spanish and I realized that their Spanish was horrible, worse than mine. Mm-hmm. And it hit me that it was their second or third language. And so mm-hmm. they're spe- their native speakers. So it was like very interesting place. Um, we came across uh, a group of young men, boys, uh, and they just had these mushrooms in their pocket and they offered it to us. They're like, hey, we'll sell you these mushrooms for this amount. And we told them no, because even then, even then when we were like really deep into, you know, studying Vedanta and uh, Hindu uh, religion and spiritual practices, gurus, uh, especially Ramakrishna, um, and we were like, I was, I had like a lot of influence from Zen Buddhism as well. And like, we we're just exploring all of these, anything except Christianity. Right. Mm-hmm. And even then we said no, because it was like, we realized it wasn't just like the material or the chemicals that's in the mushroom we're after. And the, the only the experience we wanted the religious component as well. Mm-hmm. We wanted the ritual. We wanted the Sabina. We wanted the wise woman. We wanted to be guided along this trip, we wanted all of those practices and forms and rituals to be a part of it, you know? So I, I don't know why, I don't know why, like, is, we desired that so much to where we were able to, you know, reject something that came at a much lower price that would mm-hmm. get us to that, you know, the chem- that had to possess the same chemicals as, you know, potentially the same mushrooms that would get us to that place. But we said no and paid mm-hmm. way more money to do the whole ritual practice package you know so how did that go when you did that the ritual package there was it uh you know i'll, I'll just say this whenever I, I this is this is a new james this is why i reached out to you because you're a friend that i trust uh conversation partner um but i'm kind of stepping out like I've, I've really never talked about this stuff mm-hmm. in detail barely even in person my wife doesn't know some of these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of, uh, I have some good things to say about things like these. And I, I also have a lot of bad things to say about, um, and a lot of cautionary things to say. Most of the, most of these type of experiences um, were, were dangerous. They're absolutely dangerous. Um, this one, uh, I'll say this. So the experience was we went into the basement of uh, a very humble house, you know, made out of adobe and had a tin shed roof on top of it. You know, it was a very simple home. And we go down to the lowest level of that home, uh, earth walls all around us. Uh, It was very dark. It was at night. Uh, They wrapped the the mushrooms in these, uh, gosh, it was a particular type of leaf, a very large green leaf. Um, And then, uh, were guided. And the interesting thing about the guide is that she was saying prayers to St. Peter and St. Paul. 
And that confused me a lot in that moment. You know, keep in mind that like I had a Christian upbringing um, and I had a mix of emotions because I was very upset that she would dare to mingle in Christianity with what's supposed to be this like distinct, you know, not Christian experience uh, with mushroom medicine. And, uh, and then, so she was just like saying all of these different prayers. Um, and then it, and then I found out that it was, um, it was during a time of colonialism when people genuinely accepted the Catholic faith, uh, but then some of it was forced. And so some, some people accepted it and was just immersed themselves into the Catholic Christian faith and others, they kind of like made it work for what they had. And so in this case, I forget what it was exactly, but Paul represented the wind and Peter represented the fire or, or something to that effect. Um, and then one saint represented the thunderclouds and the rain. And then, so like, they kind of had these like placeholders. And so on the surface, it was like, oh, they're being good Catholics. They're saying what they need to, but really those, those, uh, it was a cover up and they, they still were able to maintain some of their, their older practices as well. So then my, my, the remnants of my old Christian self were then angry because they weren't really praying to Peter. They were praying to the rain clouds or something. <laughs> so it was very mixed. It was very mixed. And then we, we entered into that deep state and again, I went way deep and that was hard because my ego, it, it challenged my ego. And it was like, not in a way that was good. It made my ego worse. And so it was telling me what I wanted to hear. It was like, at that time, it, it started a, a split. Uh, like I wanted to leave my traveling partner and I started hating my traveling partner. I started conniving a way to like, basically ditch him and, and start writing by myself. And if you knew him, he's, he's one of the sweetest, most heartfelt men you'd ever meet. It's like, why would you, why would you do that to Steve? Steve's awesome. Steve's a sweet, sweet man. Um, and so it started like kind of like drilling a wedge. And then, uh, so I felt remorseful for that, but yet I felt like it was kind of stirring that, stoking that fire. But then it was also creating like these dark dreams and it wasn't pleasant. It was like, it was a mix. It was like, it was showing me things that I need to heal from, but not making it better. If that makes sense. And then to make matters worse, our Sabina, um, we, again, I entered, that's this poor woman. I entered into this state and I could, I could have stayed there for who knows how long she grew tired. You know, the, the, the night was waning and it was very late into the evening. And so, uh, they had, they had to move us. We had to leave. <laughs> so they kicked us out and I was so upset. I was so upset. I was like, how dare you? We, you know, we paid you good money and now you're kicking us out. We have to go finish this trip somewhere else. And we have to buy a ta you know, rent a taxi and mm. go back to where we were staying. And it was just like, I was infuriated. Um, and it was like, I had all these ideals, you know, all of these stories that we listened to, you know, Alan Watts talk about and, um, all of the, the history, this buildup to, you know, this place, the birthplace of mushrooms. And, and, uh, it was very different, you know, like, oh, the Sabina, like this wise woman and this guy did, and it's the real deal, you know, it's the real experience. And then she's like, ah, young man, I'm growing tired. And then so <laughs> I got, I got a 10 o'clock, I got a 10 o'clock. You're running up into here. Uh, so yeah. I need you to keep <laughs> it moving. Exactly. Schedule. Yeah, it was like a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
Yeah. yeah. I had a similar experiences with uh, doing psilocybin mushrooms and then having, you know, uh, dark dreams and light dreams and had them for a while. And I would write them down for a few years. I have a journal of dreams, which are some of them are horrific when I, uh, lots of death dreams, being killed, being chased, being in cosmic like warfare, mm. just many, 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 many of them. Um, and I thought I was doing the, you know, the right thing and writing these down and exploring them. But now I realize that well, that's not what dreams are about. Um, you know, dreams are, are, are should be prophetic and there are access to the spiritual world, but there's so much distortion that uh, it's better to follow the church fathers and it's like, don't pay attention to them. If there's something that comes through that needs to get really capture your attention, that's one thing. But the vast majority are, uh, you know, it's th things that we can't really understand and that are going to stoke our ego, you know, uh, mm -hmm. just like uh, I, I've, I've had that experience as well. But when you're having the experience, you're not thinking, oh, my ego is being inflated here. You know, it's only when you can reflect back and, oh, wow, I was, uh, I was made kind of more of a jerk, you know, um, the, yep. whole, the whole kind of ego death thing. Um, but they're all I think they're all valuable. Yep experiences for sure absolutely you know like so a couple of things one is like would i be here today would i have arrived where i arrived had it those not been a part of the journey of mm -hmm. course that's the unanswerable question um but then also you know would i suggest people go out and do them Here, here's the the positive takeaway from that that last experience with the sabina and watla de jimenez is that um, I walked away with a knowing that I would never do that again because I would find something better. Mm -hmm. I would find something better. I'd find a, you know, at that time, I thought it'd be like a meditative practice or something that would allow me to get to that, that place again, that very deep spiritual place and engage in that realm uh, without needing the substance. And so it kind of had this like graduating feeling. Mm -hmm. And so really... Whenever um, I was in that trim scene, like I, gosh, I went m up to that point, majority of my adult life, uh, my, my whole life being surrounded by pot, you know, I live in Northern California, Emerald Triangle, all of that. Um, it's a very real part of our economy around here for, mm -hmm. for good and for the bad. Um, but that was kind of like the one thing I'd never, never really did, never given into, um, and so kind of fast forwarding to the, the story that I told on top of Volcano Canocti, where I smoked it for really one of the first times. Gosh, I can think like in less than one hand have I mm -hmm. partaken in that. Um, and each time I was approached by demons, mm -hmm. you know, I think we've reached the point in the podcast. Um, I'm just start saying it for what it is. Uh, mm -hmm. Although I want to be respectful about that too, but um Spiritual was, entities, spiritual yes. entities, yeah. very um, dangerous spiritual entities. Yeah. Malevolent ones. Time. Yeah. Um, to where, to where um, I was playing with fire, man. I was playing with spiritual fire and not in a good way. And so mm -hmm. I look back now, you know, that I can have the perspective of 10 years of knowledge and learning and practice and all of that to where I can look back and see it and be like, I thank God. Thank, thank the Lord for the, the grace, mm -hmm. the grace of guiding it through. And really, I think the thing that amazes me most is that regardless of all of these, you know, experiences and exploration and experiments using all these different substances and pursuing all of these things, it's, um, 
it didn't come as a turnoff to the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. I, I can't look and even some of the journal posts that I can, I can see it coming through the words. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I even knew a little bit back then way deep down that um, I was trying to scare God away. I was trying to scare my, the Christian God away. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there's times where there'd be distance, um, but never separation. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a point where I just knew that his, his love was, was not going to be something that I could run away from. Uh, there was a point in my journey, uh, my bicycle journey, where on the surface, people would say, wow, it's so adventurous. You know, it's so thrilling. Some of the pictures you're sharing and the stories you're writing about is just like amazing, amazing. And true. It, and it was, but like, there was also like this deep down, there was a spiritual journey happening, kind of like mm-hmm. the subcurrent, the layer. And on that journey, I was, there was a, a lot of that was driven by two things. One was fear, uh, the fear of being wrong, the fear of my dad and my grandpa, you know, my, the Christian people in my life being right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fear that the God of my fathers was true and loving and better than anything else that I could experiment with or explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the same time, even though even in my subconscious, I was trying to neglect it, uh, is that I was being drawn to find out if it was true or not. Mm -hmm. And so through all of these experiences, it was like kind of like that verse that says, um, you can take all things and turn it together for good Mm -hmm. to those who are called, um, who love God and are called to his purpose. And it might sound crazy, but even all of these like psilocybin mushroom, uh, very potent uh, marijuana uh, experiences, and then, and then even um, exploring Hinduism and Buddhism and you know, native spiritualism and all of these different things, um, they all had a way of acci- you know, accidentally <laughs> pushing me towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in a, in a really, a really interesting way. And so that's why I'm, I'm kind of setting, I had peace about setting out and, and telling these stories. Uh, and I do ask that when the stories are out there, that whoever starts them would finish them because someone were to start the book and then, uh, finish it halfway. It would be damaging to, you know, not just how they see me, or really it would be more like damaging of how they, understand the the true meaning the through line mm-hmm. of why i'm telling the the details and organizing these facts in the way that they are um but really the the amazing thing is that i was led into this place where i came to christ in a way where all of these things created a momentum that helped push past all of these past blinders these misrepresentations, these hurt wounds about the church and Christianity and my relationship with God. Um, it was like the, the, it gave me a taste for that, that spiritual bliss. And it gave me a, a longing and for inner peace. It gave mm-hmm. me, um, a desire to be able to, to be able to engage with this realm steadily, um, and with 
without having to be codependent on other substances. Uh, and so whenever it's, you'd love it. So whenever, I don't know if you experienced this too, but shortly after that trim scene and the experience of, of being offered um, sexual powers by succubi on the top of a mountain by these glowing goddesses, that all of those things, like just the craziest of craziest parts of my journey, right after that is in my early prayer meditative times with, you know, like uh, uh, Palo Santo incense and candles and, you know, uh, sitting lotus position. And I'm like <laughs> giving myself to God in like a totally, like <laughs> not a typical way you'd expect, you know, in a very uh, not Christian form. Um, it, it was good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I, I approached Christ as my guru. I even, <laughs> I even, I used all of like foreign terminology Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it was good enough. And mm-hmm. I opened myself and I said, okay, I've, I have this momentum of openness. Um, and I finally came to a point where I'm like, okay, I'll give you the same chance that I gave all these other things. You know, I'll open myself up to uh, seeing if there's spiritual bliss or truth or any of things, just to see what happens. So Jesus, you're my teacher. You're my guru. Mm-hmm. show yourself. And in a split second, I entered into the deepest, most profound spiritual state I have ever, had ever experienced to that point. And the amazing thing is, is that it didn't go away. Mm. It didn't go away. Um, and so each time I was just like, I, it created a hunger and a thirst for prayer. And it wasn't like immediately I was like, everything else is wrong and this is it. It was Mm -hmm. like, I tasted of that goodness. I was drawn by beauty to that goodness and it tasted so good. And it was so nourishing and filling that the desire for other things slowly faded away. Mm -hmm. And it was very, you know, sensational and uh, centered around feelings and experience. It was experiential. It was participative. Um, And I stayed in that state for a long time, but well, I'm kind of getting into the next season of my life, but uh, well, let's uh, let's let's have a couple of these conversations, right? Because as you explore those those journals, I'd love to have you know, kind of maybe uh, drill in a little bit and have a conversation about some experiences and reflect on them together. Uh, if you're up for it, I think that'd be. I'm uh, open for it, absolutely. I think something happened in 2012. You know, the whole end of the world thing. You know, the, the yes, that's a part of it. Something happened yes. where we were world... in San Diego mm-hmm. and we got, we got like the spirit of giddiness and we started mm-hmm. doing cartwheels in a park on a lawn. We just stopped our bikes and we started doing cartwheels and started just being at like goofy children. And that well, was that, the, like that the December 21st day thing. Yes. I think something happened uh, seriously. And, you know, Peugeot talks about the uh, re-enchantment of the world. Uh, so the materialist worldview died in 2012 right? The, the structures that protected from the spiritual world for better or for worse to have come down rapidly. And now we're seeing all of this, the spiritual world coming back into the material world for better and for worse. And yes. people are falling into pre-lest and spiritual delusion, the new age and whatnot. And hopefully with God's grace, you can get through and find, find the logos. Um, but I do believe the world ended the world as we knew it. And we're in this like liminal space uh, between between two worlds. So I think when Jonathan talks about things are going to get worse before they get better, a lot more people are going to go through kind of what we've been through, right? Mm. In in mass and I think that's going to uh 
I think it's going to cause a lot of more turmoil, but I think, uh, it's, you know, it's James, did you say, you know, did you say 2020 or 2012? 2012. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, Remember, uh, December, 21st, I think both are correct. 20, actually, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. I heard one and then I thought I heard the other and now I'm thinking both of those dates are yeah. pivotal. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think my heart, my heart in writing this book is, is to create a map of meaning, like Peterson would say, mm-hmm. um, but more of like a spiritual map of meaning because mm-hmm. my heart goes out to, I think of all of the friends that I met, whether in Costa Rica or all of those places in Mexico and Guatemala, uh, all the places in Portland and the States, all of the, the people that are caught up in, in these worlds and they just have like a strong spiritual desire. Mm-hmm. And so they reach for this and they seek after that and they learn from this person over here. And it's like, I can just tell them, I can't like a witness. I can't tell them. Well, the recent years of my life, you know, I was like 2016 to now, uh, I have developed a language. I can talk about this and, you know, with a certain aptitude, mm-hmm. but in a way I kind of have both. I have, the experiential where I can just, I can just tell them straight up. It's like, I've tried all of these things and you've probably tried more or, but, but nothing is as good as this. Mm -hmm. There is no peace that others can give you like the peace of Christ can give you. Um, And I can tell you that without a hesitation in my heart. Uh, And I can now be able to tell a story that hopefully will say like, Oh, I was thinking about doing this or yeah, I tried that a bunch and mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I had that happen to me or like, man, if I do that, will that happen to me? You know, like those are the type of uh, questions that I want people that hear or read this, these stories to, to be able to be, you know, inspired by, but also challenged by, but also, you know, guided by to where it's like, okay, here's a map of, you know, uncharted territory. And because the spiritual world is, it's like entering into Narnia. It's like entering into, you know, the Lord of the Rings world where it's like, or any of these games too, where it's like, it is vast. It is vast. It feels limitless. And mm-hmm. kind of like what you're saying, like we need guides, mm-hmm. we need guides and we need the right guides. Um, and I'm not that, promising yeah. to be that guide, um, but I'm hoping to at least come up with some type of map that will help people be able to chart and say, well, at least, at least they have an understanding of this is my story. Um, and they have a better understanding of some of these things. Yeah. I think, um, we all have a role to play of being kind of cartographers, right? Those are map makers, yes. right? cartographers of the spiritual realms from our perspective and mm-hmm. things will kind of build from there. Um, yeah. but yeah, I find it fascinating. I didn't know about any of these writings or what your intentions were or what's been going on. So I'm glad we were able to, to connect here and I think we can leave it here and until next time sure. um you know how much have that have you gone through that material have you read through of which one of the of your material here how much have you read through you said you had in touch for 10 years and you've just started looking through them have you read through all of them uh so i haven't read through all my journals um so my writing process is pretty unique um i just Okay, so I wrote a letter called Know Your Seeds, right, mm-hmm. on my Substack, And really, I look at the my creative process as like receiving ideas or receiving seeds. And then um, the seeds are the things that tell me 
what I need to do, how I need to garden this story. Mm -hmm. I need to tend to it. Um, and so the way that looks like for me is as I go throughout my day, um, or if I, you know, sit down in the early mornings before I go to work, um, it's a sacred time. I write down the ideas as soon as they come kind of like you were saying, like the through line, mm -hmm. my outlining process is a way of like kind of chiseling one little layer, one detail at a time to where the through line becomes clear and complete. Mm -hmm. That's the process I'm in right now. And so whether it's the things I listen to, whether it's the things I'm reading, um, whether it's the, the actual material the pictures that I took or the, the journals that I write, um, kind of coming up with the patterns, the consistencies, as I reflect on certain stories, there's certain little tiny details that will emerge. Um, and then hopefully conversations like these with uh, trusted conversation partners. I might, I might even open up and, and ask, interview people that have mm -hmm. similar experiences or, you know, doing similar work, trying to help people through telling their story, uh, whether it's through journey or through spiritual uh, transformation. Uh, and then kind of like allowing those things to dry out. So that's the place I'm in is, I guess you would call it outlining, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of like letting the patterns and the details kind of show up. And then I just have a law of always writing every idea down, uh, regardless of the time of day or what I'm doing or how I'm feeling. And I'm getting to a place where I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing patterns in my life that I never even thought to notice. Mm. Like, for example, I'll give you one. I never realized that every critical stage of moving from one stage to the next that was involved or directly, I was directly drawn by a female figure. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned this special young woman that drew me to Colorado, but whether it was my grandma, whether it was um, uh, a young woman who I, a very special young woman in uh, Guadalajara, in Mexico, whether it was even my wife drawing me to the settled life, whether it was, you know, it's like every, every single stage I look back and I reflect and I'm suddenly, I'm like, it there was a woman that was involved in that process, drawing me to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Not all of them are romantic, yeah, right? Yeah. E even some of them spiritual, like the succubi that was, that was drawing me to another path. Yeah. Right before my most critical moment, right. Of transformation. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's, oh. I, I, that's a blessing. I, I, it's an exciting project. I can see the excitement coming through that you have the work on this. I see like, you know, the, uh, you write down your ideas and it's almost like a pruning afterwards. So you get the ideas down and yes. then you, you prune it down. And then what, what's left is, uh, what's relevant. Precisely. Yeah. So I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm like listing it all out. And I'm kind of listing it out and pruning a little bit, but then the next stage will be pruning it down to like, okay, here's, here's my outline. I kind of do things in passes. So like my, my outline is like, some of it's one sentence. Other times it's just like more written out. It's almost like a first draft. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I don't think, I don't do things like this. I kind of do little, mm -hmm. little passes here and there. Some of them more finished than the others. Um, uh, so before we go, I wanted to talk to you about books. One thing I love about your channel is that you're faithful with reading passages, 
talking about books. And um, so I'm really curious to, he to hear if you had any book suggestions uh, that would be helpful in any of these topics um, to kind of be able to compare, you know, my story or the type of book that I'm doing with, with, with other works. Like for example, uh, when I went up to that monastery, they, um, they had a book that I'd never seen before. It's called the gurus, the young man and elder Paisios. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar. One man just tells his, his spiritual journey. Uh, and he went to the Holy Mount, um, Mount Athos. And he talks about his, the, the, some of the engagement that he had with elder Paisios, very holy man. Um, but then he also went to India and uh, visited and explored some of the top gurus, like the, I forget his name, was it Swami? Oh gosh, what was his name? The author of uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. So he went to oh. his ashram and he went to other people that are considered, you know, incarnations yeah. of the divine. And um, then he went back to Mount Athos. Anyway, it's just like, so like this book, um, and I'll probably, I'll start doing it, who's more the videos. Who's the author? Uh, you know, it's, I think uh, I, I'm familiar with Dionysios Pharasiotis. Pharasiotis. I think I have, I don't have that, but I have one that went in a similar vein, uh, but I'll have to look. That's interesting. Um, so it, this one's it it's like a memoir, an extended mm -hmm. memoir, I would call it. Um, I was really encouraged by this one because he's a layman. He's not an author. He's not a professional uh and his writing style is not it's not sophisticated like you'd expect from like you know a professional author um but it's a page turner yeah like i finished it in a matter of days and drew so much from it and i it was encouraging because it's like it helped lower the pressure a little bit it's like even if i just simply let these stories tell themselves and it wasn't you know like all of these other things that you'd expect and go to writing school to learn, you know, like, Oh, make sure that you uh, don't tell you to make sure you show, you know, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. um, Have you um, read uh, or familiar with Matthew McConaughey's book? Oh, uh, green lights. Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't read it yet. It's on my reading list though. Get, get it in audible. Cause he okay. took his journals over. Oh. It's really, really entertaining and it's really good uh, and it's spiritual too. Um, so I would have suggest that, um, you know, I have this book that I've been reading through and a different kind of DMT dialogues encounters with spirit molecule. And it's mm. yeah, Dennis McKenna, Jeremy Narby, Eric Davis, but, uh, Rick Strassman, who was the one that did the DMT intravenous experiments writes, um, uh, and I did a video probably a couple of weeks ago on the, um, DMT and the, and the Hebrew Bible. And you talked about yes. all of the imagery yes. and he, it was, it's absolutely, it's fascinating. Um, you know, and I just, in one of my notes, I have I've reflected on the books that started this journey, at least on YouTube. And the one that kind of brought us together was Christ, the eternal Tao, which is interesting. Yes. Because it's again, Christ and the Tao. So it's this connection of, uh, of kind of the East and the West. And then uh, the ethics of beauty uh, from there, life of Moses was big for me mm. um, on the cosmic mysteries um, St. Maximus. Um, and then, uh, you know, I have our first interview here of Derek Fiedler and the logo six eleven twenty, which is right there. Uh, you know, and I've just That's outlining, great. you know, Marshall McLuhan, father Seraphim Rose, you know, Orthodox psychotherapy, um, Nietzsche Heidegger. So, you know, there's so many different things, but I think from what your context and what you're looking at, you know, it's going to be fun exploring 
uh, and reading others' memoirs and, and just getting inspired from them. So I look forward to, to hearing you. You know, as you say that, it, so the person who wrote Christ the Eternal Tao also, did he write the, the life of Seraphim Rose? Yeah, it's Haramoth Damascene. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, have you read that one as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. I read probably, it's a huge book. Let me see if I can find it huge book and it's his biography and absolutely wonderful i would mm-hmm. complete I, I read probably four or five chapters and i have a, a playlist but it was just too big and uh, i was coming out of the uh working mm-hmm. from home era where i could read a lot uh you know yeah, on youtube yeah. there but uh it was hard to get for a while in the pandemic it's like 400 500 i think it's i think you can pick it wow. up now but i would suggest that he talks about his he was um he was a uh, student of alan watts he went in, right. you know, to courses there, and he was a student of Ji Ming Xing, who was one of these, uh, you know, kind of traditional Chinese medicine. You'll read it; it'll be it'll profoundly impact your heart. Uh, oh, I highly okay. suggest that since you're 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 embarking on this journey here. Um, so that's the one out of all of them. I would suggest. Uh, I can't think of another one that would be, you know, that I would suggest picking up. Uh, and it's a thick tome, and it goes from. You know, he was he was an atheist, and he, he talked about how uh, he talks about this one time where he was drinking a lot, and him and his girlfriend at the time, he was so mad at God, he was so angry, and it's in detail. And there's a lot of pictures in it of his life, early life, just throughout. There's a lot of pictures of his uh, his journey there, and, and I didn't read the whole thing. I read through probably half, and then other chapters, the end, and um, you know, so I didn't get through all of it. Uh, but his life and, and works is absolutely phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, check awesome. Out. The other one I'm reading right now is uh, The Way of the Pilgrim. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying these type of stories where it's like things that are embedded in, you know, not just travel, but then also like people and their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, as I spent a lot of time the last few years just going through like philosophical, very technical, how-to theological type of readings. Um, and I feel like I've, I've done an, I've loaded up enough there to where it's like, I can spend the next year and a half, just like actually practicing and living that. Um, and reading maybe some more books kind of along the lines of just learn hearing people's lives and stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But it also has me doing a lot of this too, where it's like, you know, you pray, you have a prayer rope and, you know, actually like it's, and maybe I'll, I'll write a little bit more about this, but it's, 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 there's an era of my life. The end of the book started an era of my life where it was very much uh, a matter of the heart. Mm -hmm. I was a a season for several years. It was just like, I was driven by the heart. Um, Not so much the feelings part of it. That's part of it. But I mean, like the core of things, um, that stillness, that's the ground of being. Mm -hmm. So I I was operating in that realm and I kind of turned off and I, maybe even like egotistically said, ah, theology, you know, mm-hmm. they're missing it. Uh, but then enter university of Davis and, um, introduced to the wonders of theology, the, the life that comes in, in knowing God and, and those type of profound ways. And then, uh, anyway, so I spent the season from 2016 to now, basically like in the, the, under the leadership of the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, very technical knowledge and then kind of like tyrannizing my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I've finally come into the season this year where I'm like, uh, like in this book, 
which I, I do recommend. It has a really, really cool epilogue story, a little parable at the end. I don't know if mm-hmm. you can see that. Kind of, yeah. It's Into the Silent Land by uh, Martin Lard. Yeah, very cool. And uh, it uh, talks about bringing the mind down into the heart. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's, that's the kind of season I'm in where I spend maybe a little bit more time in stillness and prayer rather than trying to figure out all of the inner workings and come up with the language for prayer. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. The noose is, is, uh, the heart mind, you know, and in Taoism, there's this, uh, oh, the, interesting. The practice, the practice that you do is you, were, uh, you bring the heart into, you bring the mind into the heart, right? They call it the shin. It's, it's very similar, the noose, yeah, but the idea is we have the noose has been relegated to logical calculative thinking. There's this whole other capacity that's atrophied and it has to mm. do with the heart. So there's not a good English translation for the word noose because it has these two aspects. And once mm-hmm. they become, uh, you know, kind of connected again, you know, that's kind of the way, way towards theosis in a way, in a way something like that. So is it like intellectual knowledge and spiritual knowledge. Yeah. Something like the spiritual from the heart, right. From an Orthodox perspective, it's the heart that, that operates same thing with the Taoist perspective. It's the heart where, mm-hmm. where kind of everything is the center and radiates from there. And mm-hmm. the brain is more, the mind is more of a calculative, you know, in a good sense, a way to intellectually process things. Um, but it's both that are necessary. So I like the season that's, you know, swerving in and out of, of kind of connecting those two pieces. So it's a, I think a lifelong journey. Um, so yeah, very cool. All right, James. Thank you. It was nice. Nice connecting with you. Let's do it again. Yeah. Well, James, can you just catch me up? What are you, what are you going to be doing this year? um 2023 i I don't know i'm uh i've I've never really had a project or a projection of of kind of what what i'm doing uh i'm just gonna i just gotta say i love that about you yeah well it's not on purpose you know in my like pentecostal charismatic background it's like oh he's so led of the spirit yeah yeah (laughs) i think maybe i'm just not organized enough actually (laughs) (laughs) well it could be that too but uh yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see i'll definitely uh you know uh, keep you in the loop and um, and continue the, this meta conversation. So I appreciate you. Appreciate you too, James. Thanks for the talk. Yep. Thank you. Be well. You too.